Joel chapter 3, verse 18. Four verses. We should be able to do that. <laughs> Joel 3, verse 18. Joel 3, 18. I don't know. We'll see. It's really not, but 17 pages. <laughs> Joel 3, verse 18. <laughs> okay, and it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine. Okay, that's obviously grape juice, not alcoholic. And the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and the fountains shall come forth of the house of the Lord. Okay, where does it come from? The house of the Lord. And shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be, a des uh, shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. I'm going to stop just a second. I said that the next book we were going to go to is Obadiah, but I didn't realize we've already done that. So we can go to Jonah the next time around. But that one is referring to all the things you saw in Obadiah. That's all that Edom and that's that stuff right there. Verse 20, But Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. This is exciting. After this long, depressing book, we finally got a high point. He ends on a happy note. Happily ever after. <laughs> finally, we get the storybook ending. Okay, now let's break it down. Joel 3, look at verse 17. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no stranger pass through her any more. Okay, uh, verse 18, we'll get one more verse. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop down new wine. Okay, that's, where we, that's the context for what we started with. So he's talking about something that's going to transform that land. The way we left it was desolation. He's going to come through and destroy everything. So something happens to do a 360 in there because now all of a sudden everything is perfect and uh, better than it's ever been. Okay, well, the first thing that has to happen is the Lord has to dwell there in Zion. He's going to be sitting on a throne there. Now, that's not dwelling in your hearts. <laughs> that's not dwelling in the kingdom of God and, uh, you know, a kingdom of priests in your heart. And it's not spiritual. It's absolutely physical. Literal. Uh, look at Zechariah. Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, verse 4. Zechariah 14, 4. Here's how it happens. And his feet shall stand in that day. Actual feet. <laughs> not spiritualized. This is a literal event. And his feet shall stand that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley. Now watch what happens to that mountain. It just split in half. Now watch what happens. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. He... He lands on the mountain. He says it splits east and west. Then it rotates. It flips north and south. <laughs> That's wild. 
Now, that's not some uh, normal thing that we would see in nature. <laughs> that's going to be something. Look at verse 4. Look at, oh, no, we just read 4. Go down to uh, verse 8. Zechariah 14, 8. And it shall be in that day. See that phrase, that day. That keeps always popping up when he's talking about the advent. In that day that the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and winter shall it be. Okay, so there's this living water that's going to flow. This is millennium. It's something special that's going to happen. You'll find people that try to spiritualize things that shouldn't be spiritualized. There's going to be literal. He's actually going to be here. So you're going to get things that we've never seen before. Revelation 22, you see it show up. Revelation 22, verse 1. Revelation 22, verse 1. Most people try to spiritualize this passage. It's not spiritualized. It fits right with what we've been reading. And he sh- uh, Revelation 22.1 And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the streets of it and on either side of the river there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yieldeth her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be uh, in it, and his servants shall serve there. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I just want to show it to you. How many months are there in a year? Twelve. Okay. How many manner of fruits does this thing say? Which bear twelve manner of fruits. And then it says, and yielded her fruit every month. So there's 12 months in the year. And the Jewish calendar, in the book of Revelation, he tells you, he's talking about 42 months, 1,230 days or whatever he was. He tells you it's a 30-day month. So something's going to change in the celestials. Right now you couldn't come up with a 30-day month and have 12 months and be a complete year. So something's going to change in the solar system so that 30 days equals one month and 12 of those will complete a total year. It's 360 days. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a little different. A lot of things are going to be different. Now the waters of that river of Judah is going to be a physical change in it because the mountains have physically changed. You just split one in half and spun it around. So there's going to be a lot of changes coming. Um, Look at uh, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47. He's going to purify the Dead Sea. Right now the Dead Sea is the salt sea. Nothing lives in it. It's all dead. That's why they call it the Dead Sea, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Ezekiel 47 will be in verse 1. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Here's this river he's talking about. After he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. The house there is the house of the Lord. 
For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under, uh, under from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. He's very detailed in this thing. He's telling you exactly how it happens. Then brought he uh, me out of the way of the gate northward and led me out of the way, so forth, so on. Let me skip through some of this and get you right down to the good stuff. Verse 8. <laughs> I'm not going to give you all the details, but all the details are in there. If you want to go back and read it, they're all there. Verse 8. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea which uh, bringeth forth... Which bringeth brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. Okay, so he's going to fix this dead sea so that the waters are healed. It's not going to be a salt sea anymore. It's going to be able to bring forth living creatures. Um, look at verse 9. And it shall come to pass that everything that uh, liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed. And every living thing shall live whether the river cometh, with a minor exception, verse 11. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed, but they shall be given to salt. Okay, so he leaves one section of it that um, that is uh, not... Uh, habitable for living creatures. This all is uh, giving you a, a boundary line where this living water flows. You re remember that, well, turn there, Numbers chapter 25. Numbers 25. He told you about uh, the waters coming from the Dead Sea to Shittim. And this is where um, Balaam was Balaam's prophecy Numbers 25 verse 1 and Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab okay there's that land and that's been a bad news path right there that's uh, I, I can't tell you absolutely for sure but I'm pretty sure <laughs> the salt sea is the leftover of Sodom and Gomorrah when God rained down fire and brimstone and he, he uh, turned uh, Lot's wife to a pillar of salt. And it was so much salt that we got a salt sea out of it. Um, and then in Micah 6 verse 5, he gives you the other uh, direction things are going. Okay, back to our passage. Joel 3 verse 19. Joel 3, verse 19. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. For the violence against the children of Israel, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Okay, the judgment on the heathen that uh, were persecuting Jerusalem takes place um, at this time. Now, God hands out retribution. He's put up with things for a long time. And Israel as a nation has suffered for a long time. But when he levies his final judgment on these places, it's severe. Zechariah 14, um, let's see how it happens. 
Zechariah 14 and Zechariah 14. Let's start in verse 10. Zechariah 14, verse 10. And all the land shall be turned as the plain from Gibeah to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, that is desert. And it shall be lifted up and, in the, and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, under the corner of the gate, from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepress. And the men that dwell there uh, dwell in it, and there shall no more uh, be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Okay, so... Good, happy times for Jerusalem. But remember that Edom and and, uh, Egypt that he's not happy with. Here's how they fare, verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. When he gets mad, he makes our idea of nuclear bombs look like a firecracker. I mean, that's, that's as close as we could liken it, is a nuclear attack, uh, something like that, a Chernobyl. But he's saying right there, when I get ready to destroy these people, here's how I'm going to do it. It's uh, like we have a thing that's not explained called spontaneous combustion where just out of nowhere something just burst into flames. And science can't really explain it. But that's kind of what this is right here. They're just going to blow up while they stand there. Um, He says that uh, in Isaiah chapter 2, he's talking about Israel and Jerusalem there in the millennium. They'll be a place of peace and worshiping of God and uh, Jesus on the throne and strangers can't come in. <laughs> so he doesn't want anything to defile it. That is, um, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Let's see, um, I can't come up with the verse. But Jerusalem is not only the house of the Lord, but it's going to be the temple. That's where he's going to dwell. Therefore, he doesn't want anything to defile it. Isaiah 2, look at verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Okay, now we put a time stamp on it. Last days doesn't refer to the church age. (laughs) We may be in the last days of the church age. That's probably true. However, when the Bible's usually calling out last days, he's referring to the end, the tribulation that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Okay, so that's meaning that the capital of the world becomes Jerusalem. I had somebody last week (laughs) who commented on the video, last week's video, and told me that um, God is through with the Jew, he hates them, and they're going to burn in hell. (laughs) Well, he's not read much Bible. Here, God's promising the whole world is going to be subservient. They're going to be the center of the earth, according to this. 
verse 3, And many people shall go and, and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mount of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. That's Jewish. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion, Jerusalem, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations. That is, he's judging all nations from Jerusalem. I don't know why we have it, but we've got the UN in New York. We need to kick that thing out. <laughs> but the next UN, the next United Nations, is going to be God's United Nation. And he's going to judge it, not from New York, but from Jerusalem. Um, and down to verse 5. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Okay, so he's, he's actually guiding and giving instruction. That's the same thing that the Antichrist did. The Antichrist is a great mimic of Christ. When the Antichrist was here, he causes everybody to worship him and take the mark, and he can talk to them. Somehow, they all get messages. I don't know if there's a new, a later update to the TV that, you know, he can reach through and turn it on with you, without you wanting it turned on, but <laughs> I wouldn't doubt that's coming. Um, you know, your, your microwave and your refrigerator can tell you what to go buy. <laughs> so who knows? But now, Jesus is going to do something similar to that. He says, all your children will be taught of me. Jesus Christ says he'll teach all the children. Well, that's on the whole globe. He's going to teach them all. So he's got some way of communicating to all of them. This is going to be some wild things coming. Something has happened historically. This has been the picture. Jerusalem, was, when it was right, was supposed to be the capital. And if someone wanted good, they came there and they got wisdom and understanding. Acts 8.27, see it happen here. Acts 8, verse 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Okay, where is that? That's Africa. That's a long way away. A eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasures and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. That's the way it's always been. Paul says he's out on a mission trip and he says, oh, I've got to get back to Jerusalem. There's a feast going on. I've got to get back there to it. That's the way it's always been. In the millennium, it will literally be that way. He says, if you don't come up to the Feast of Tabernacles, I'll curse you. Mm. So it's going to be very important that they come to Jerusalem. And because of that, he's going to be very picky about who he lets in the city. The city is going to not be defiled. Uh, look at Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles nine. Second Chronicles nine verse one. In the millennium you won't have any preachers. That's going to be a different thing. Um, he says if somebody puts on rough garment and tries to prophesy, they're trying to deceive you. If God wants you to know something, he'll tell you. Um, 
So you can come up to him, like we've seen throughout the Bible, and ask your questions. We have questions. We're humans. <laughs> and so you come up to him and you ask him a question. Here's how it's happened in the past. Second Chronicles 9, verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem. So forth, so on, and Solomon tells her everything that she wants to know, and he's, you know, full of wisdom. Well, he's nowhere near, he's going to look like, you know, an elementary school student in comparison to Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. And if you've got a question, he'll answer it. Look at verse 5. And she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in mine land of thine acts and of thy wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man until Jesus. <laughs> but he's been bested now. <laughs> and he will be. And then what they do is they come up for a season. They worship at different festivals and things. And then they go back to their place. Because he's going to split this globe up into... Uh, how many different nations are there going to be? Twelve. twelve nations, because there's twelve tribes. Each tribe is going to be responsible for a Gentile nation. And they're going to have a special gate that they can come through. I'm giving you too much information without backing it up with Bible, but we've done it before, so I don't want to slow you down. Look at the end of verse 12. This is, um, who are we talking about? Uh, this is uh, Queen of Sheba, what's her name? Yeah, Queen of Sheba. <laughs> verse 12 the end of verse 12 so she turned and went away to her own land she and her servants so that's what they're going to do in the millennium they're going to come up for all of these things these feasts of the Lord now it's interesting he did not say in the Old Testament these are the feasts of Israel these are called the feasts of the Lord because one day the Lord is going to be sitting on that throne in Jerusalem. That's Israel. And all of the earth is going to partake in the feasts of the Lord, not a nation, the Lord. In Hebrews, he tells you about all of these things are a picture, a shadow of better things to come. So those feasts may have been great at the time, but they're nothing compared to when he heals the land and then he puts on a spread and says, come on up and let's have a party. That would be a good time to show up. <laughs> Look at uh, Joel 3, verse 20. Look at that. We're almost done. Joel 3, verse 20. <laughs> but Judah shall dwell forever. Uh, I thought they were burning in hell. <laughs> but Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. For the Lord God dwelleth in Zion. Okay, so he's saying, there's coming a time that I'm going to cleanse Israel. I'm going to wipe away all sin. That's a different system than we're under right now. We're under a much better system. <laughs> much, much better. Our sins are immediately washed away when you believe and get saved. You immediately get forgiveness and cleansing of sin. If you don't accept it now, too late, because I just told you about it. <laughs> if you've been given the truth and you reject the truth, when he sends the Antichrist, 
he says, with him he sends strong delusion that you'll believe a lie. So if you've not accepted him now, you won't be able to later. But the Jew, or those who have not known the truth before, and go through that tribulation, this is the way they get, they're looking for enduring to the end in order to get this salvation. This is the time they get their sins washed away, uh, blotted out. Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, verse 26. Romans 11, 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. <laughs> all. Every single one of them. Now that's something strange. Now there's not going to be much of them left. <laughs> After that tribulation, there's only going to be a small remnant. But what's left, they'll be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, that's Jewish, for this is my covenant. When he starts talking about Jews, he talks about the covenant. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. It's not done it yet. I showed you the verse in Acts, I believe it's 3. Um, he says, uh, he talks about them waiting for, um, i got to turn there. I can't give you the wording for some reason. Acts 3. Um, Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That is, when he's literally here, that's when your sins get blotted out. That's not for us, but it is right here. It's fitting everything we've just read in Joel and uh, Zephaniah. Look at it again in Hebrews, same, same story. Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, verse 8. The Jews originally had a covenant, so similar to a contract, a covenant, and they broke their bargain. Well, God says, okay, you lose. <laughs> so because of that, they, they're in default. <laughs> when you're in default, you have to pay some extras, and that's going to be Daniel's 70 weeks. That's the tribulation comes in. And God is so good. He says this, you broke the first covenant and I'm going to make you pay the, the extra fine. You're going to have to do that. But after you've paid the extra fine, I'm going to make a new covenant with you that will blow that old one away. Here it is, verse 8. For finding fault with them, they broke the old co covenant. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with, not Christians, the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Look how good this is. Here's the covenant. I will put my laws in their mind, 
and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. That's not what happened in the first one. Remember the first one was, hey, every place you, you uh, set up your tent, you need to write on the posts the statutes and precepts that the Lord gives you. You need to put it on your hands and as frontlets between your eyes. They had to do the writing. Here God says, I couldn't read your handwriting. <laughs> I'm going to write it for you this time. <laughs> he says, I'm going to write it right in your mind. You won't have to memorize. It'll already be there. Kind of like we don't have to learn how to sin. It's just natural. <laughs> it's going to flip. What's going to be natural is the word of the Lord. You're just going to know it. Verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Isn't that what we do right now? Yeah, we've got to. And we've got to do it to ourselves. <laughs> For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. But that's then. And until then, he's sure remembering them. <laughs> that's what the tribulation's about. The main business of the uh, millennium is this. God clearing the guilt from Israel. It would be one thing to be forgiven. You, can, you could commit a trespass against someone feel bad about it, go to them and beg them for forgiveness. But you know what hangs on to you? Guilt. That's still there. Millennium, God's going to be wiping off the guilt from them. So they won't even have to worry about that. That's good, God. Romans 3, Romans 3, verse 22. Romans 3:22 Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto uh, all and upon all them that believe for there is no difference okay he's talking about there's no difference between a Jew or a Gentile that's our age but there's definitely going to be a difference in the tribulation and in the millennium we've just seen all the verses on it so that's a different type of salvation. They've got a weight on theirs. That's all those enduring to the end verses and having to not take a mark. If you take a mark, then you're already damned. Um, it's a complete different system. And you'll find people that try to make salvation the same all the way through. And it can't be. Revelation is proof. I don't have to sit down and tell somebody that there's a difference in Old Testament salvation because they should plainly see it from the book of Revelation. Forget the Old Testament, that's over. Is there a difference in the future? <laughs> if there's a difference in the future, then that's what you need to worry about. Romans 3, look at verse 25. He says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. We got in on something that was promised to Israel. That's what Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 3. And we get it right now through faith. 
not waiting for the time of restoration. Is that the word he used? Uh, refreshing. Refreshing. We get it right now. God did that on purpose. He said, I'm going to provoke you to jealousy. And that's what he's doing with us. He's given us all the goodies. I mean, they get the land, but hey, that's not, that's not a goodie when you look at my goodies. <laughs> and so it's to provoke them to jealousy. Now, it's not doing it right now, but come tribulation, it will be. They'll be like, man, I wish I'd gotten in on that deal. <laughs> look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 17. says, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, that's different than just clearing their guilt. That's God saying, I don't remember that they ever sinned. That's a deal. Now he started them back over at sinless. And that's that salvation for the millennium that becomes inherited. You'll find it all the way through Psalms, talking about your generations serving him. We can't claim that. <laughs> I can't claim my kids are going to serve him. They're not. <laughs> I mean, you can you can try to help them and you can teach them, but they got a free will. There's coming a day that the natural instinct of a child will be to follow him, not to sin. And that's where those verses fulfill themselves from, from Psalms. Uh, Hebrews 10, look at verse 4. Hebrews 10, verse 4. He says, for, his, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Well, then why did they do it? <laughs> All the way through that Old Testament, they did it. But he said, it's not even possible for that to work. Then why did they have to do it? It was not. Here's what people are going to tell you. They're going to say, they did that as a picture of Jesus coming, you know, the Lamb of God and dying. They didn't understand that. The disciples didn't understand it. And Jesus told them he was it. <laughs> so they didn't have a clue about that in the Old Testament. What was going on there is their sins were in remission, but not redemption. That is, it was put on hold. Why? Because you needed something more powerful than a bull or a goat to show up. And it was the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. Once that was shed, then they could get it. However, it's only available right now to those who forsake Judaism. You can't follow the Old Testament system to get it. Matter of fact, why would you want to? All they got was a, uh, a place held in line. They could go to Abraham's bosom and wait until the redemption was complete. We don't need that anymore. The redemption is complete. Now, those who refuse it get the opposite. It's not Abraham's bosom anymore. It'll be held in the lake of fire. In Exodus 34...
Exodus 34, verse 7. Old Testament, here's what was going on. God was still a good God. People, you read that Old Testament and you think God was mean and angry. No, he wasn't. He was very good and gracious even in the Old Testament. There's hundreds of verses in the Old Testament. I don't know if hundreds, but many verses in the Old Testament that talk about how gracious and good and merciful he is. In fact, that's what he says about himself. Exodus 34, 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And it doesn't end there. (laughs) And that will by no means clear the guilty. That is something needed to happen that was much bigger than anything in that Old Testament could have done. And there's coming a day when he'll show up and explain it to the Jews that make it through the tribulation. Now, we've gotten something way better right now. We get in with just belief, and we don't have to go through all the rituals. I mean, I look at Catholicism, and my grandfather was an um, Episcopalian. That's Catholic, really. <laughs> and all that up and down and... You know, I mean, it's like you gotta you got to learn all the rituals. It's like secret handshakes and stuff or something. <laughs> it was foreign to me. <laughs> but that's what that Old Testament was like. You had to know all the things you could and could not do. There's coming a much better day. We've got one right now. It's not the physical. It's spiritual. You can talk to him right now. You can get, you can get when you sin, you can get it forgiven like that. You know what they would have to do? Go research the law and find out what the proper sacrifice was. It wasn't you could just bring a sacrifice any time you sinned. It had to be equal to the sin you committed. <laughs> then you had to go get it and hope you could find it. Then bring That takes a lot of time. What if you drop dead in the meantime? <laughs> I mean, really, we've got a great deal right now. In the millennium, it's still going to be a great deal. It's going to be a great deal in that he will be here on the throne on earth, and he's going to make a whole race of people sinlessly perfect without any um, fear, well, without any influence of the Antichrist. Now, that's going to pop out at the end of the millennium. The Antichrist will show up and try to deceive many, and he will. However, for many years, there won't be any influence of the wicked one. Look at uh, the rest of our verse. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generations. Now, I always say to people, be careful with that verse. The, um, who is it? The, The charismatics use that verse to say there's such a thing called generational curses. And they say that, there's three verses like this. And they say that means that if your three generations back parents sinned, then that's the spirit of whatever sin it was haunts you, and you're going to be cursed for three generations. You find them doing the same thing right now with, it really becomes mystical. They say that there are um, evil spirits that are over nations, and all, it's, it's all that inherited stuff. 
Okay, and they're going and praying against it. That's baloney. It's individuals right now. But what this verse is saying right here simply is this. The beginning of the verse, did you see how that started? Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving it. That's all good stuff. Then he says, that doesn't clear the guilty. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation. So he says, when they, come, when they continue to commit iniquity, iniquity is seeing someone else sin and copying it. If you run the word iniquity through your Bible, you'll find that to be the definition. So when you copy the sin of your father, Jesus Christ is going to show up and give you an opportunity to get right. Not curse you just because you did it and didn't know better. That's what that verse is. It's not a generational curse. Um, Joel, our book in Joel, ends with the happily ever after. Israel is finally restored. That book, pretty much the whole book has been about devastation and advent, and one thing triggered it. And I think we probably ought to be doing this all the time. There was bad news happening. They had crop failure. They couldn't bring enough to the temple. And because of that, God was real enough to him. And he knew about the end time. And he says, hey, you think this is bad? Let me tell you what's coming. We got bad political junk going on right now. Oh, yeah. But hey, this ain't bad. Let me tell you about the tribulation. <laughs> Amen. This is a walk in the park compared to what's coming. Um, this book ends with Israel and Judah being avenged. They get to take vengeance on their enemies. The people who took them into slavery, we talked about that last time, now they put them in slavery. God gives them vengeance. And he gives Israel forgiveness. He gives them cleansing and permanent restoration. That's something they've not had. That's wild. But finally we get to a happy note, and we had to wait all the way to the end of the book. <laughs> but that's the way it's going to end up. And then we'll start next week. I'll give you the, um, the Assyrian side of things, where we're going from here time-wise, and then we'll pick it up with the book of Jonah.